This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. If you're enjoying the ideas and inspiration from the wide variety of guests and their experiences from the last five seasons of this podcast, just know that the best way to take the next step and deepen your knowledge in order to apply the skills and learning to regenerate your world is to read a book. New Society Publishers' vision is to provide the world with fundamental tools to help build a just and ecologically sustainable society, and many of the guests that I've interviewed here on the show are authors published by them. You can find all of their work in ebook, audiobook, and classic paperback at newsociety.org. Hey there, and welcome back, everybody. I'm really excited to present today's interview. And it's probably going to sound really nerdy to have had so much fun talking about farm finances and profitability, but trust me, by the end of this session, you'll completely understand. Now, let me start by saying that I am a complete novice to the world of finance, accounting, and really just simple math. I mean, I get by just fine. I even think that I organize my personal finances better than most people, but that's because I'm organized, not because I have any training in financial planning or bookkeeping. But despite my lack of formal knowledge, I've long admired people who are able to compute the large amounts of numbers and financial data that come in and out of a business and then use them to make sense of its operations. The truth is that being able to decipher balance sheets and cash flows and profit and loss statements and other windows into the fiscal health of a business really unlocks the power to diagnose problems while they're still easy and manageable and to predict the trajectory and the risks that you're going to encounter throughout your year and beyond. Now, I know that there are tons of businesses and accounting professionals who specialize in just about every job sector and industry out there, but I personally have rarely come across people who specialize in farms and who understand the wild variables and the complexities of farm businesses. Luckily, though, just after our last interview, Nicole Masters from Integrity Soils suggested that I reach out to a friend and colleague of hers in Australia who she promised could shed some light on the lingering questions that I had. And that brings me to Kim Deans. Kim has 30 years of experience and has worked closely with hundreds of farming businesses through processes of change. Alongside her work with other farmers, Kim has been implementing methods now known as regenerative agriculture on her property in New South Wales over the past 17 years. Kim specializes in working with innovative farmers who are disillusioned with the high-input industrial farming models to tailor a unique strategy for reinventing their whole agricultural business. She works with clients to support them as they build a solid foundation of soil health, profit, and resilience into their business with the aim of making farming enjoyable again. Over her career, Kim has created well-tested processes designed to empower farmers to break out of information overwhelm and confidently take the next steps to implementing regenerative agriculture practices that are appropriate to both their scale and their context. Now, at the core of this process is financial diagnostics to illuminate issues in management at various levels of their enterprise. And in this interview, Kim tells me how her early work as a financial advisor to farmers shone a light on the issues of soil degradation and made it clear exactly how important caring for the health of a farm ecosystem really is for the health of farm businesses. We talk about specific strategies and techniques that she's found most helpful in guiding people through the financial planning process, especially if they're new to it. We also talk about the essential skills that someone needs to practice to begin thinking analytically about how to improve the profitability of their farm business, de-risk their enterprises, and even assess the profitability of a new farm enterprise. Now, even if finances and accounting don't seem like the most interesting topics to you, I encourage you to dive into this one because Kim has a way of communicating complex aspects into simple processes and connecting it all with the bigger picture of holistic farm well-being. Now, I also want to remind you before we get started that you can now connect to the vast network of experts, consultants, and coaches who are part of the Climate Farming Network. We know that making the transition to profitable regenerative agriculture is hard enough, but without support from people with experience and who understand your unique context, you can waste needless time, money, and effort along the way. So don't do it alone. Just click on the link at the top of the show notes for this episode on the Regenerative Skills website 
and we'll help you to find tailored assistance that can fast track your transformation and get you where you dream of going. But with that said, I'll hand things over now to Kim Deans. Could you tell me how you got yeah. into working with financial assistance and planning in yeah. rural communities in Australia? Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, it's I, I was in a farming business for a number of years in my first marriage, and um, I had a natural aptitude for the financial aspect of farming businesses, although I am a very holistic thinker. And then something I'd always wanted to work on was to work with the Rural Financial Counselling Service. And that that farming business was great training for that role, <laughs> as life seems to be. Be careful what you wish for. Um, and so I, I spent 12 years working, in addition to running my own business, I spent 12 years working as a rural financial counsellor in my local community. And that is a, a service that's unique to Australia, as, as I told you before. And um, it was started in a rural community in Australia where farmers were, the banks were foreclosing on farmers and they really didn't have the support to help them negotiate on equal footing. So a farmer started doing this as a voluntary um, service and it then became a government funded program, which has been running for many, a couple of decades now, I guess, um, throughout Australia, helping farmers to become, like learn more financial literacy, improve their budgeting skills, better negotiate with banks, but also just, um, you know, improve their business management and help them make informed decisions. So a lot of my processes were learned there. Um, and I, I'd had a, a major soil health aha moment in that farming business that I started in. And when, the more I worked with financials, the more passionate I got about soil and regenerative agriculture, even before it was called Regen. It was like obvious to me that I could see the state of our natural capital reflected in the financials of the businesses. So it only encouraged me more and more down a regenerative path working with financials. But yeah, I've always been a pretty holistic thinker. Mm. <laughs> That's really interesting. And I've heard that from a few other people, but let's unpack a little bit about how you made that connection between the financial aspect and the soil health. What were some of those aha moments and what were the observations oh. that led to them? I had a big aha moment when it was probably about 25 years ago. And I, as I said, I was, I was, I married into a farming business and um, my ex-husband and I were checking on wheat crops as they would probably about May, June, the crop had been sown. It was just emerging. And there was an air of the paddock that looked really sick. And so I'm just going, Oh, what happened here? The fertilizer had grown out. So I've just suddenly seen, well, these are where we were farming. The soils were amazing and they were renowned for being very fertile soils. And I'm like, if that's what happens without fertilizer, we're in big trouble, like early stages of farm succession planning and all the rest of it. To see what happened without fertilizer, I immediately saw a soil health problem um, where other people may have seen, oh, we needed fertilizer. <laughs> so I started, this is 25 years ago, the internet was just beginning. And so I started, I couldn't get information readily. I started looking at soil and researching, how could I get feedlot manure? How could, I started reading about worm farms and things like that. But at that time, I just didn't, wasn't able to tap into the information that's there now. But when that information appeared, I was ready for it. Like I soon got access to all of that and that whole world opened up. But yeah, that's sort of what drove me to start to see, I could see the connection then between soil health and viability and farm succession planning and how, you know, we need to have a healthy resource base to have a viable business because we were doing a lot of, you know, budgets and looking at how to just, do we make this work? And when you, I could already see that if we're that reliant on inputs, we're not resilient, you know? Um, so it's sort of, that's what sparked me and it was all connected. Like I've never been one that can really specialize. I've always been very generalist in my approach in agriculture and life. So it kind of just naturally opened that door to the financial link and the soil health link. And I just couldn't unsee it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's really interesting to hear someone say that from the yeah. financial perspective, right? We've often talked about how it reflects in crops and, you know, mm -hmm. the way that they're trying to reduce inputs or just improve uh, percolation of water and all these other effects yeah. that are much more ecosystem focused. But it comes down to the bottom line of the profitability of the business really clearly there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really did. And, you know, that was quite a some time ago and that situation's only become more, more exacerbated, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
how have you started to see that with the other farmers and rural land workers that you have helped to mm. kind of financially plan and, and, and collaborate with in, in that aspect of your work? Yeah, well, it, it kept walking in my door. As you said, I worked, I was in that role. I worked with hundreds of farming businesses throughout this area. And some of them were leaving the industry. Some of them were really viable. You know, that was a range of businesses. So I got to learn a lot. And, you know, I'd get phone calls through droughts with farmers saying, well, we've had three inches of rain and it's still too dry to sow a wheat crop. All I hear is soil health you know like okay well that soil is not absorbing water you know you how those I could see how those people were creating their own droughts some of those people were open to those conversations and others weren't but you know it's it's just kept coming and I kept seeing people becoming more and more vulnerable to climate variability there was no resilience you know the input costs just kept rising um and you know I'd left farming probably three years before I started working in that role and I started doing budgets based on what I'd known in farming and we were cropping farmers. I could budget easily. And the farmers started looking at me like I was a bit crazy. And in those few years, the cost of production had risen so much that you needed an above average yield to break even. And my old budgets weren't cutting it anymore. So that was also a wake up call that this is not sustainable. This is not profitable. Yet, you know, people are still doing it you know, why is that? So those were some of the things that I saw. But what I really learned, probably my biggest take home, being able to sort of get under the hood of businesses, which is a really privileged position. You know, you, it's not easy to access that information. Um, but I had the privilege of seeing what was going on. I could see that most viable businesses were managing in three key areas really well. They were managing their financial resources, they were managing their human resources, and they were managing their natural resources well. The ones that were most um, the most challenged financially were not managing in either one or all of those three key areas, but it only took one to bring the house of cards tumbling down. So they could be managing financially, but really de degrading their landscape, they were vulnerable. If they were managing well in other areas, but the people side was struggling, things could come tumbling down. And also they could be really awesome farmers and producers but if they didn't know, have any financial skills, that they couldn't do what they could do best successfully. So they all go together. And so those were the things that I was able to really learn and see. And like I said, made me more passionate about regeneration in rural communities on every level. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's fascinating. And what were some of the biggest or most common mistakes that you saw growers making in each of those three categories? I would imagine yeah. some patterns started to emerge. There are. So in the financial aspect, it's just basic financial literacy. Like I have my three key areas in financial management, are cash flow budgeting, knowing what your net worth is or your balance sheet, and also understanding profit, what drives profit in the business. In the human aspect, it's really about um, having a growth mindset and being able to question and become aware of that. But also the health and well-being of the people involved is really key. And the relationship skills, you know, those are really gray areas to manage. But a lot of farm exits here are relationship breakdown focused. So, you know, if we're going to be regenerative, we need to manage our people. And um, if we're running the human side down, we end up exploiting ourselves and others to create that viability. So those were the th my three keys there. And in the natural capital, it really comes down to like your ground cover, your soil organic matter, and also the rainfall use efficiency. So those were, you know, I have those sort of three keys within my three areas that I work with, with my clients on resilience. That's like, I call that almost the key to farm resilience. It's also the key to, you know, viability too, is understanding those. But those can just, you could just keep taking it deeper and deeper, couldn't you? There's so many aspects to them all. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned a little bit of a mindset shift there. And I'm wondering what is required before you get your finances under control to understand in order to build towards a profitable farm business if that mindset aspect is, is lacking? Yeah, mindset's huge. And I think the first thing is being able to see holistically. Like if we just focus on making money, we can accidentally and unintentionally degrade our people, resources and our natural capital. You know, like 
that's if we're only focused there because there's many forms of capital um not just financial um if we um you know if we don't focus holistically like I said we could exploit the people side or mine our natural capital so it's really important to see holistically um it's also important I think to get us become aware like that growth mindset's about being able to learn and grow and question our thinking so it's really important to shift out of scarcity mindset um, which a lot of us I don't know I'm talking from my Australian context but there's a real scarcity mindset in farming communities and I've grown up in farming family you know of money doesn't grow on trees and that sort of stuff so and you know rural people are resourceful they know how to stretch a dollar and so you know but and there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes when we're in a scarcity mindset we actually limiting ourselves we're um becoming at a focus of not being enough not having enough needing more land more inputs more information more 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 you know like and that can end up on a consumption cycle so we also when we're in that scarcity mindset we look for one right answer we don't see possibilities and we also you know it's win-lose not win-win it's really about consumption and control when we can shift out of that by becoming more aware of our thinking, surrounding ourselves with people that can also help us with that. And I guess being, you know, more focused on um, gratitude for where we're at, we start to see the potential rather than the limitations. We get more, less fearful about not having enough so we can then improve our financial management. Um, and we, I don't know, we just get start questioning and see endless possibilities. So that mindset's huge, I think, as far as regenerating financials and financial literacy all, all wrapped into one, isn't it? Like, <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, I've seen farmers who want to take a more regenerative path convinced it's going to cost them a heap of money. So what do they do? They spend a heap of money. <laughs> Is that necessarily so? you know so our mindset and our beliefs so we've got to be really mindful of that I think yeah that makes total sense and I'm wondering from a financial perspective what are some of the specific strategies and techniques that you have found most helpful in guiding people through the financial planning process especially if they're new to it like where do they start yeah yeah that's a great question um I think it's really important to start when I first sit down with a person and I'm working on a business level, I'll start to look at what is their their balance sheet, their statement of assets and liabilities, to start to see the level of risk that business is carrying and understand what you own versus what you owe. So you can, you know, manage that. And if you focus on net worth, what we focus on grows. So having that as a focus on not to um you know to build wealth over time but it's also the risk level of our business it's what the banks look at it's what we need to understand what it means and we need to you know be monitoring that um so that's often a good place to start the next essential is to do a cash flow budget and budgets aren't the most exciting thing to spend time doing but they enable us to do what we love because if we don't monitor our cash flow and then we could be like driving a car without a fuel gauge. We don't know when we're going to run out of money, you know. So it's essential um, in every single business, not just agriculture. Yeah, it's it's the fuel gauge in the business. And I've seen just learning to do a cash flow save businesses. Like that one skill has made uh, someone who was on shaky ground more confident in their decisions and you know, they're still in business now through learning that skill. Um, a lot of people borrow money and banks may help do budgets or other people may do budgets for you, but you really need that skill for yourself and to use it as a working document and review it regularly. So you can see what your budget is versus your actuals on a monthly basis. That's really good business management and that's going to keep you doing what you love. You know, so that's the second thing I try and work with people on and, you know, learning to it's the money that's coming in and out and making sure we can pay things when they fall due. Um, you know, if our cash flow struggles, we can be out of business really quickly. Uh, but if we can monitor it and make decisions around it, and it's really a great tool for more informed decision making. If you're on a regenerative path, you can use that to help you plan your strategy so that it works. You know, it's so easy when we want to regenerate land to get so focused on the natural capital and take our eye off the financial. And it's, you know, people will say, oh, that regenerative ag, it's not profitable. It sends you broke or whatever. How can healthy soil and healthy people send you broke? It's actually that when we stop managing our finances, that's the problem. We've 
got to incorporate good financial management in a transition of this nature. It's essential. So, yeah, I'm pretty passionate about cash flows. <laughs> cash flow yeah, is I'm... notoriously difficult for farms to manage because they're in this unique situation of having a windfall of cash at harvest time or perhaps one or two key points in the growing yeah. season. And it all of the expenses tend to happen in the beginning and maintenance all throughout. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's very hard to wrap your head around from a business perspective. How do you start to square the, the calculations when you're at such a, an unbalance of, of cash flow? And that's why it's so essential to do. Cause just cause you've got money in the bank today, does it mean you can, you know, in three months time, if you just go blow it all that you will be able to manage your business. So you've really got to, have that sense of what that's allocated for because some of it's spent on things in the future just to keep you running and keep you going isn't it so yeah yeah I wish I had a I'm sure I wish I had a dollar on what they're going to be earning and in an industry that's so uncertain that has so many variables that could completely wipe out a crop you're starting from a point where you're assuming things I, I, I guess are going to go at least fairly well, that you're going to have something to sell by the end of the season. And that's a variable that must be really hard to, to base calculations yeah. on. How do you overcome that's that part? True. That's a really good point. And I think how I overcome it is I, like I, I've often heard, I wish I had a dollar for every time a farmer said cash flows don't work. <laughs> but they do. What you can do is get the more you do it, the better you get at estimating your expenses because the expenses are our decisions. So we can really get accurate on the expense side and we can know that the income sometimes is variable. But at least if we know our expenses, when something shifts like a disaster hits our crop, we get hailed out or, you know, I had a, an incidence of a shot and sprung barley crop one year that was pretty disastrous and I could take that budget and pull out that figure and look at my options you know so it's really like well we can often be very you know it's hard to always get the income right but the more you budget the more accurate your your expenses will be and I've seen this in practice with farmers that when I get them on this they get really accurate with expenses and the, the trick is not overestimating the income and just trying to be realistic because we all want it to really work well but really pulling yourself into realistic projections with incomes really essential um, and you get better at this it's like riding a bike you get better at it the more you do it and you know you have to move the tools and use the budget yeah yeah that goes back to the importance of what you're saying before is constant monitoring especially if you're mm. new to this process you're not going to get yeah. accurate information from the beginning if you're not paying attention to the projections that you set out and how they actually square in the calculations along the way right yeah. Yeah. And you can get hung up like, you know, decision making in agriculture is quite complex. So sometimes people put off a decision because they don't know what's the right answer. But sometimes, you know, you're never going to know what's right or wrong. But if you can make an informed decision based on the best information at the time, that's the best policy. And that's what your cash flow provides you. So particularly, you know, transitioning towards regenerative systems, this stuff's really crucial and it helps you to manage that aspect of your business to keep you afloat while you implement changes and do in the way you do things so yeah it's really important um and beyond cash flow i think it's really essential for people to know what profit is because so many farmers are focused on production like you know they and over here in australia they'll measure their success by topping the sale the cattle sale or you know um best yielding crop but i want to know did that make you money or did you spend more than that on on costs like this is what we don't talk about more and more people are starting to talk profit but understanding what profit is where it comes from and understanding you know that's your cash flow drives that fuel gauge but you've still got to make a profit at the end of the day to provide for your living expenses debt reduction investment back in your business so that's the other key is educating around profit and profitability yeah yeah because it really is the difference between what you make and what it took or what what you had to spend in order to make that. And there is a tendency, not only in farming, in most businesses to project what you were likely to make and then just rise your expenditure Mm -hmm. to more or less meet that. And 
you know, okay, well, I know I'm going to make this much, or I think I'm going to make this much. So that gives me the opportunity to spend, spend, spend and invest in all these other things. And then by the end, there's no margin. And especially if you don't end up making what you projected that you will, then you get into trouble, you start to get into debt. How do you coach people to get out of that portion of the mindset? Oh, that's a really interesting one. And it is just learning about what profit is and where does it come from and where does it go? Because I've seen people who don't understand the difference between cash flow and profit. They think profit's what's in the bank account. Well, no, it's not. (laughs) It's how you use what's in the bank account. Because I've seen people pay off, say, like a tractor loan or something and then come to me worried the accountants made a mistake and they've changed accountants because they wanted a cheaper one. And, oh, no, I think they've done it all wrong. And I'm like, hang on, what's happened? Well, you paid off, you know, $40,000 on a tractor loan. That's profit. Like to, to make a debt reduction, that's profit. So, you know, it's it's understanding when you make those decisions how that's going to be dealt with in your tax obligations, um, which are very in different countries, but that's how it's dealt with here. Um, it's essential. So I guess it's just education. Like this is profit. And off the way I set out cash flow budgets, I try and separate costs out to show people quickly where those things are rather than have them lost in a big spreadsheet. I'll sort of separate enterprise costs, overhead costs, financial costs, taxable costs out. So people, as they work with me, are learning what those things are, what the implications of them are and getting okay. Like, you know, farmers have a mindset of avoiding profit because they don't want to pay tax, but you know, how are you going to get ahead without it? You've got to come to terms with the fact that tax is good (laughs) because you're making money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That's it's a, counterintuitive, but it's a good way to look it at is. it. It is. It's the scarcity mindset in action. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to avoid tax, spending money on tax deductible items. But at the end of the day, profit is what builds your wealth and it's what builds your, your balance sheet and your net worth. So it's a good thing. Yeah. So that's, you know, those are the things I work with, I guess, on building financial literacy and business skills and confidence. And once people have those under control, the next level is understanding the enterprises in the business and looking at their cost of production. You know, what does it cost me to produce a tonne of grain? What does it cost me to produce a kilo of beef? Because they all know what they get paid for that kilo of beef, but they really know what it costs them to produce. And so then you drill down in that and that just builds another whole layer of financial um, aptitude in. Those first three are kind of the essentials, but you then need to drill down into your enterprises and your gross margins and cost of production to make sure that you're, you know, running a business that's effective and there could be things you could fine tune. That's where they're going to become obvious. Yeah. (laughs) Those, I guess those are my essentials. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, sure. And I would imagine that you look at expenditure in different ways too, because there are maintenance costs. There are the sort of things that can actually make you money or wealth generating in, uh, expenditure. Do you put a lot of effort into separating those two and looking at them differently? Or do you kind of lump the expenditures together? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I encourage farmers to really pay attention to accounting, like management accounting, not just tax accounting. And part of that is to dissect out their costs as much as possible, not lump them into things because then they can make better management decisions. A lot of people just do like accounting because they have to for tax. And you've got all this data that you could be using to run your business better if you know how to get it out. So having a good chart of accounts and having a good, I guess, separating all the expenses off as much as possible so you can fine tune and drill down into what's going on. So, with you know, with the wealth generating, you'd want to have everything itemised so you know exactly what's going where. Um, I think that's just, that's essential. And then you're making better decisions, you know. So when I, yeah, when I do cash flows, I try and separate that stuff out. So, and particularly... I like to separate out the financial costs because sometimes people aren't aware just how much of their income's just going straight to the bank before they can use it. So how do you, you know, you need to know what you've got to cover as a base every month before you get to spend anything. And also what, if you've got a goal around wealth generation, I think the biggest tip I've got is to actually set a smart goal around it. Because, you know, a lot of farmers will say, oh, my goal is to reduce debt. And every year the goal is to reduce debt, but nothing's changed. But once you get specific and measurable and achievable and realistic and you put a time frame on it and suddenly you can say, I will reduce my debt by $10,000 by June, you know, and suddenly it can happen and you check that that's achievable. That's a really 
big tip for managing money and reducing debt or wealth generation goals or debt reduction or building asset, get smarter on it and get specific and measurable and put timeframes on it that fit, put them in your budget, make sure it's achievable because otherwise you'll hear yourself saying, I'm going to do this for 10 years and nothing will shift. And yeah, it's that's how smart goal principle really applies to financial goals, I think. Make sure it's you know achievable, little chunk it down into achievable steps, but yeah, that's a really key. Am I getting off track, Oliver? <laughs> no, not at all. That's really essential <laughs> advice. And yeah. I mean, it applies to so many things, but especially for people who see financial management as an overwhelming task, right? Perhaps yeah. it's something that they are don't feel like they're very good at doing, or it just seems like this insurmountable thing that they'd prefer to offload to someone else. Like you're saying, there's so much potential learning and the ability to improve your management hidden in those numbers once you learn how to decipher them. And yeah. as soon as you start to measure it, then you can manage it. That's one of my favorite uh, yeah, sayings so. from the business world, right? <laughs> what, what gets yeah. measured gets managed. And it really does come down to management. That's all we really have access to here. And it's yeah. the only way that we can start to correct course in those manageable chunks that take the overwhelm out of the big job of getting a farm mm -hmm. back into a profitable state. Yeah. And we've yeah. been talking a lot about the mindset portion right now, which is absolutely essential. But can you break it down to some tangible skills that are worth developing in order to get good at this and also to reduce some of that overwhelm that we were just talking about? Yeah, I think um, the skills are probably just getting comfortable well, first with your figures, budgeting, like I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a cash flow projection for 12 months. It's very hard to predict longer, but you can sort of do that in a more general way. I have a really general five-year forecast, but a really detailed 12 month. And I think treat those documents, like sometimes we'll do business plans or financial budgeting, financial spreadsheets, and the job's done, we don't look at it again. We'll do it for a specific purpose or when someone asks us for it. But when we do it for our own purposes, the whole thing is to get into a routine of actually making them working documents, not sticking them away and ignoring them. Because where the rubber hits the road is to commit to a regular review of that those figures and make it painless. Like here in Australia, we rec report quarterly on GST. So that's a really good time to have a good review of the process. Everything's up to date. Everything's current you know, make it a quarterly thing that you review at least. But I think when we're, when we're, tra we're dealing with transitions or we're dealing with, um, you know, the more stressed we are financially, the more we have to look at this stuff, the more time we need to dedicate to it. So it's building in regular actuals first projections. Where am I out? Because as we do that, we learn more and more about our business, our costs, where things are going, what's happening, you know. And I think, you know, the core skills are also that budget will tell you so much about your business. I I can't reinforce it enough. I once had some clients who decided they would go all in and increase, they increased the turnover, like the income in their business, increased tenfold. So for example, instead of um, breeding cattle and making $100,000 gross income, not profit, but income for the year, they then started, you know, backgrounding and feeding and ramping up production so that, you know, tenfold million dollars income a year. It looks like there's a lot of money coming in. This is a lot of volume. If you don't start to look beyond that, you start don't see. And there's a lot of work. Um, the stock agent was happy because there was 10 times the commission. However, when we did the budget, there was the exact same profit. So <laughs> this is where you know, all this extra work and yes, all these people were benefiting from this system, but the farmer wasn't. So get to know your numbers really carefully. You can't avoid it. There's no real hack for it other than doing the work and moving the tools. And I guess finding someone who can help you learn to do a cash flow if you aren't, aren't over that, find someone who can help you put that together and will walk you through it and support you while you learn. Um, you know, it just, it's just um, an essential skill. Start with that. <laughs> and yeah, you can tell I love cash flow budgeting because I love the outcomes I've seen it create for people. I've seen it change people's lives. Like one farmer looked at it. He'd never actually looked at what he was doing. And he rang me the next day, said, I'm selling the farm. 
And I'm like, oh, what have I done? Like, he's really, he's going. And um, he said, I've never looked at what I'm doing like this. And I've realized there's no point in this. I'm working really hard and I'm not getting anywhere. There's got to be a better way. So I said to him, well, you know, a cash flow budget's only as good as the figures we put into it. So your job now is to go through those figures and make sure they're realistic and you're happy with them because you're basing a major life decision on this budget, Do you know, go through them, make sure it's right. And he did sell and he avoided some pretty tricky times ahead. But yeah, it can be really eye-opening for people who've never sat through it, um, just how life-changing looking at the stuff can be as far as, in, you know, informing decisions and realising that a lot of income doesn't mean a lot of profit or, you know, we get tied into thinking it's all production, don't we? Like we've got to just do more, more, more. And that's that mindset actually stops a lot of people embracing regenerative practices because they equate more income with more money but they haven't looked at their profit (laughs) and they haven't looked at it in the domains of the people and the natural capital as well so yeah I think just you know start to just do the numbers start with a cash flow budget and build from there start simply yeah and I don't know if you've observed the same thing as I have but a lot of the most profitable enterprises are actually small and intensive and niche down And there seems to be this uh, concept that in order to make more money, you just have to get bigger and you have to expand, Mm -hmm. you have to scale your operation. Whereas, you know, if the individual units that you're selling or the yields that you're putting out by the end require so much input, scaling up is actually Mm -hmm. exactly what you don't want to do. It's just going to increase the overhead costs. And especially as things get larger, they get more difficult to manage. And Mm -hmm. that means that you're going to start to lose efficiency in that process. And oftentimes niching down, getting intensive, getting efficient, and maybe finding a new sales outlet, going direct to to the end user or the client and, you know, specializing more can often be a lot more profitable than that scale model. Yeah. And it's, that's why it's so important to look at your profit, you know, and understand your cost of production and where everything, how all this pieces together, because then you can make better decisions. Because, you know, more land isn't necessarily the way to go. Land's getting more and more expensive. Sometimes you're better off using what you have better and, you know, doing what you can do better with the resources you already have. So those are where those decisions really come in. And if we aren't careful, we can get trapped in that um, scarcity mindset of thinking we don't have enough oh we need more of something rather than sometimes it's doing less of something or doing something better you know <laughs> um, how can I do this better and can you know that's where knowing your numbers comes in and it helps you really make informed decisions I've seen so many cases of people who think that getting bigger will solve their problems yet on paper is one thing you can make anything look good on paper if you don't make that plan a living working breathing document and follow it and adapt it and keep tuned into it it can be the downfall of a business so you know sometimes it's the thing that makes it work it's just knowing the numbers you know there's you can't say that's always the case sometimes you need to get bigger and you need to scale up and you need the numbers to work but if you don't use those numbers and you know use them and to help you inform you and find your way it's like I said it's the fuel gauge you just run out of fuel and it's a real shame because I've seen farmers who are really skilled at what they do but if they're not managing their business well and it goes for all of us in business actually we can be really good at what we do if we don't manage the business side and the financial aspect we can be not able to do our magic in the world what we most most good at can't express itself if we can't survive financially you know so it's really important for everyone in business us as you know coaches or consultants as well as our farmers to manage this stuff Mm. yeah like you keep coming back to this holistic way of looking at things we may be regenerating the ecosystem with our management practices but if we're not keeping the business solvent and we're not managing the personnel or interacting with our community in a way that's regenerative, then that's only mm. one portion of the calculation. And it's, it's really yeah. important to make sure that it's working in all those other aspects. Yeah. Now let's take a look at resilience of a farm business as well, because as the old adage says, you don't necessarily want to put all of your eggs in one basket. And a lot of farms work that way, right? If it's just yeah. one crop or you know, a single enterprise that you're dependent on. I mean, we already talked about all many, 
the different variables that can screw up those projections and can wipe out a crop. Do you advocate for people diversifying the enterprises and the income streams that they have in order to build resilience in the business model? Yeah, that's a probably a, it depends answer because I think it, you, you're very true. Like when we have all our eggs in one basket, we're very vulnerable to change. However, maybe that diversity comes in other forms like off-farm assets or some people, their diversity is in off-farm income. Some, you know, it, it can take many forms, but I've noticed here in the area I live, a lot of people have just now run beef cattle only rather than, you know, they might've had sheep or, and cattle and crops, but they've, as the farming age has increased, they've tried to streamline by going just beef cattle. And we had a live export ban here a few years ago, which really create, created a lot of hiccups for that industry, um, especially when that's people's sole source of income. So diversification is essential in risk management. It adds a layer of complexity, and but it has to be underpinned by good financial literacy. Because again, you know, we can, I've seen people try and buy a, a farm in a different geographical area to kind of manage the, the, you know, diversification can take enterprise form or it could take climate and, you know, different climate zone form for some people. If they don't manage that well, it can pull things down. But also if we get too diverse and we don't have the strengths or the people skills or the manpower, then we can pull it down too. So we're not able to you know it's really got to be aligned with good financial management proactive um and also the strengths of our team so and the people involved because you know a lot of people when we get on a regenerative path we can accidentally degenerate our human capital by working ourselves down and running our own well-being down to try and make it all work and because we believe in it so much and we're passionate about it but you know we're not regenerative if we're not looking after ourselves as well so um and as you said before if we're not making a financial profit we can't really claim to be regenerative either like we've got to be building all of our bank accounts up not just the money but the people and the land and the things that are more valuable than money, really. So, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, diversification, because you really do. I think it's really important. But, I mean, maybe it's about what kind of diversification is most appropriate for these people and their context is probably more important than just diversity for diversity's, for diversity's sake. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very well said. Uh, but let's go into a hypothetical situation where someone is looking at a new enterprise for their farm in order to build some resilience, diversify a little bit. Where should they start in assessing the viability of that enterprise and how it fits in with a goal towards profitability for the whole farm business? Yeah, well, again, the first thing I would do is, well, firstly, you've got to assess, does that mean more debt? And how does that how does that sit with your balance sheet, your statement of assets and liabilities and your net worth? How does that fit with the risk that that poses? But then does this fit with our cash flow projection? Can we keep our, can we service our debt? Can we invest? Do we have the money to invest in this? What does it need from us? What time does it require as well? Um, you know, that's also not in the budget, but time is just as essential as money, <laughs> really. <laughs> um and start to, you know, I generally say to people, if you've always got a cash flow budget up to date and ready, you put this in there and you run scenarios through it. Scenario forecasting is powerful stuff. And the minute you have an idea, well, what if I went and did something different? You can run the numbers through there and see how it stacks up. You can get an instant feedback just through that spreadsheet if that spreadsheet's up to date and working and really good. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So that's the first thing I would do. And then it's probably to look at the gross margin and say, you know, what is the enterprise? What are the costs associated specifically with this enterprise? What are its specific expenses? And then you can compare it to the existing enterprises or alternatives. So understanding that will give you all you need to know, but you've also got to factor in your strengths and your time. And, you know, sometimes something that might look great on paper in practice, if it doesn't fit with your vision for your land and your values and your strengths, you might, it could be a disaster. <laughs> so, um, you know, and that 
that's where that strategic planning overlays onto financials, knowing what your vision is, what your context is, what do you value? You know, what is it that gets you up in every day and working out in the on the farm? Like that's the stuff that it's also got to align to beyond money, um, but it's also got to stack up for you. And yeah, I'm probably repeating these tools, but they just, they're simple and they work. And if you have this stuff, I'm working with some clients at the moment and just getting them all current with their cash flows mean when things change, you know, they can go to the bank quickly and be proactive with their requests for some funds rather than wait till they're running out of money. Banks are much more happy to help you when you can see six months ahead there's an issue rather than after the event. <laughs> so, you know, but they can also, you know, make, take advantage of opportunities because they know how the fuel gauge is running and how it's going to be performing for the next year ahead. So it's really vi- vital if you're looking at changing or adding things in. Um, yeah, every change should go through the existing budget that you have as a working document. And I love it because the minute I get an idea, I can just plug it in and see, oh, how does it look now? You know, and you don't have to spend any money <laughs> to just play with the spreadsheet and see how it's going to pan out. It's a really, really good tool. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how useful that is for making difficult decisions because projecting things into the future in such a risky business with so many variables as we talked about a few mm-hmm. times is is difficult and until you have a system for making those types of choices and testing out your ideas out into the future it's you know it's yeah. really it, it really is a gamble. And so and aside went, from yeah. sorry please go ahead. It won't take all the risk out of it, but it means that you're doing it with the best information to hand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And what are some of the other ways that you have found to help to de-risk this line of work? We've talked about perhaps diversifying either through other enterprises on the farm or other ways of cash flowing a business, not necessarily adding complexity to the land management itself and constantly monitoring your financial plan to see how it's going. Have you found any other techniques that have helped to take some of the risk out of this inherently risky industry? Yeah, well, if we're talking specifically what I work on now is transitioning, farmers who are transitioning to become more regenerative, I think the most important thing that goes hand in hand with managing the financials is having a strategy and getting strategic in your approach because often we get really excited about this when we see it we can't unsee it and you only have to stand in a multi-species crop to get excited and want to change and it's infectious but you kind of people I notice a lot of people when I speak to them they've been trying all sorts of things randomly a bit like a scattergun approach and they know it should work they believe it should work but nothing is shifting and sometimes it's because they're not being really strategic like they haven't actually tailored a strategy for their unique context and every individual landscape is different the farm's different the goals of the landowners are different what drives those landowners are different or landholders or stewards you know it's all of that so really getting strategic and building um foundations through the ecosystem services like that's where it all starts and it's not a quick process but if you don't do that like that's what costs people financially on this journey so really getting strategic put first things first and and map out something that fits your own context and then budget it, work through your financial situation because everyone's financial situation is also different. Um, so you can manage the financial risks, but also, you know, make informed decisions about do I do a whole heap at once? Do I work on one area at a time? What's going to work best? A lot of people get impatient want to do everything at once, but you've got to pay your bills. We want to keep you there. So, you know, that's where it all comes together, the strategy and then how does it fit with our reality of our financial situation. So, yeah, I guess it is getting strategic and help, finding people who can help you develop a strategy that fits your context and your goals and your your major, you know, the major levers you need to pull in your system. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now I want to talk about perhaps the elephant in the room of financial planning for farms and that's subsidies. And there's a lot of talk about whether farms should be working towards weaning off of subsidies and working towards profitable models to be able to stand on their own. It seems a lot more feasible for smaller scale farms, at least here in Europe and from the little that I remember from working in the States, um, because most of the subsidies start to kick in at larger land base 
uh, enterprises. What has been your experience of working with farms that factor subsidies as a large portion of their income and possible profitability? Is it something that they should be working at moving towards weaning off of for the health of their business? Or is it just another element in the financial planning that should be taken into account and managed like any other? Yeah, well, firstly, I have to say my context for my work has been Australia. And here in Australia, we we have um, a mindset of believing that we are the least subsidised farmers in the world. However, our farmers still do receive income support. They do still receive low interest loans from the government. They still do receive grants at times. Mostly now the grants are tied, often tied to natural disasters, which we're seeing thick and fast at the moment. So how, while we may, our subsidy system, I think, is just a different. Um, it's still, there is still a lot of support. Um, so my context is probably very different to people listening from the States or Europe and as far as subsidies working. Um but, you know, I think um, it all comes down to how we manage the human, financial and natural capital aspects of our business. Because some here in Australia, the farmers that I saw that were managing and just existing year to year based on like government assistance, whether that be drought assistance or, um, you know, income support, etc., they were always the most vulnerable when things happen. You know, they and it was very hard to shift them out like the, a lot of the programs were geared at building resilience, but it was still, it's a mindset shift that's most needed to get out of that. The most viable businesses I've worked with here in Australia ever have not been subsidised. They have managed their financial, human and natural capital well. So that's my context here. And again, it's very different to other countries. But like I said, our subs- we still, there's still subsidies there. They probably just operate very differently. <laughs> um, They're just hidden is, in other financial yeah. tools. They're different, I think. Like we don't get, receive them in the same forms in the same um, way, but there's still, there is still support for farmers. So, um, but yeah, here, the most viable businesses do not gear their decisions around subsidies. Like they, they don't do it and they are the most profitable and most viable and most resilient. So that's probably the only context I can really comment on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. With all of the different farm operations that you have seen, what have been, and I'm sure this is very context dependent and there have been differences all along the people that you've worked with. But are there any patterns in some of the key decisions that growers have made to turn around the financial trajectory of their business? I know you talked a lot in the beginning about starting to manage their natural capital better. Is that common throughout most of the enterprises you've worked with? Or are there other commonalities that have helped to improve the profitability of their, their businesses? Yeah, I think it is the commonalities would be that they start to focus on, like, I see that the financial, human and natural capitals within our circle of influence, the things we, because we can control how we manage all of those things. We can't control the weather. We can't control the, you know, the government policies or the global instability, but we can work within our circle of influence. So they always work there and they start to look within not without they stop looking outside to blame their problems on governments climate you know markets stuff like can't control they start to take ownership of what they can control and whether that's a human issue whether that's um a natural capital issue whether that's financial it starts there and you know with every business will have its weak link you know you know but it's really whatever people do to make a difference to start focusing within the business, not outside of it. And often that involves reducing reliance on just the high input treadmill type of farming, you know, in, in all its guises. I've, um, I've seen people survive in those systems, but I don't see them thriving. The people I see thriving have, you know, really taken steps to get their management right because the inputs don't change anything. It's always the foundation of management and mindset that changes everything in the system. It does. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic product. Um, it, all, it all comes down to the, man, the management and the people, that management aspect, you know, grazing management is huge. It's been the one, a lot of people come to me to talk about soil health 
and are quite surprised that I'm advocating grazing management, not fertilizers. But it's like, well, if you want to become more profitable, that's the foundation of that is your management. It's not the inputs. And so, you know, I think it's coming back to what's within the business, not looking outside for the answer or the input or the the one, you know, the thing that someone else will do. It's coming back to what's here, what's in my land, what's here for me as a manager to to look at. Yeah. It all starts within the business. Sure, sure. And I guess to start to wrap things up here, if someone is coming to you from a desperate position, their farm business is just bleeding money, they can't see a way out of it, where do you tell them to take stock first and start to get informed about what's going on internally so that they can assess the core problems that need to be fixed and start on a new trajectory? Yeah, that's, that was my day-to-day existence for 12 years. We're dealing with that regularly. And again, I've said this before, I go, the first thing I would do if a farmer comes in in crisis is I sit down and write down what they, what their assets are and what their debts are. So I could really see, because some people could be in a crisis and it's actually not too bad. (laughs) And some people could be in a crisis and it's way beyond bad. Like, so I'd be like, okay, what have we got? What do you own and what do you owe? What are your bank debts? And sometimes I would deal with um, with farmers who the bank was actually foreclosing on. That was something I would work with. And often they would believe they weren't in default when they were, so that financial literacy stuff would come in. So often it's just getting people to understand the reality of where they're sitting. And that's the first step, Draw up a, drawing up a balance sheet to see where you are as far as what you own and what you owe number one with anyone in crisis and then to support them through that. The second thing was then to look at their financials to see their profit and loss. And, you know, that gives you, because usually at that point they haven't been budgeting and they haven't got budgets. Some people will bring budgets in. They've been doing that and been trying to manage it by themselves. But it's very rare when someone's under that stress. Those things become very hard when you're stressed, you know. Um, Sometimes I'd notice people, I'd know they were stressed because someone who was really good at that stuff would suddenly stop doing it and it would be okay. They're not coping. So, you know, often it is to assess that. Have they got any financial figures I can look at to see what's going on? It gives you a really good 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 um, insight but then for that farmer if they're working through this on their own their own they should seek support from somewhere you know find someone to support you through this um and then it would be looking at the cash flow to see if there was any hope of changing anything um and if not what are the options of you know how do you then change the situation can you improve cash flow can you reduce debt can you, you know, where are the options for changing this to make it workable? And they come out of those two aspects, like, you know, getting that basic financial literacy. And if the, the things I've been talking about today, if you don't understand what a balance sheet is or a cash flow, and it's got you freaking out, it's a really good sign to stop putting your head in the sand and actually go and find somewhere you can learn it. Because once you learn it, you realize you're worried about nothing. It's actually quite easy maths. There's a lot of good tools you can use, like easy to make. People can give you spreadsheets. If you're listening and you want a spreadsheet, I've got spreadsheets. I happily give to people. Um, but, you know, you can easily start to manage it. The thing is that, yeah, and sometimes if it is hard, we ignore it until we have no choice but to look at it. And it gets worse and worse and worse till we have no choice. So if these things have got you kind of going, oh, I should do it, but it's scary or it's, you know, I, I don't want to know, want to know that I want to know, that's a really good sign that it's time to look at it and, yeah, find someone to help you through that process. Mm. <laughs> yeah, start monitoring before it really does become out of control. If it's something yeah. that you don't feel like you have a grasp on, definitely go and do the detective work, crunch the numbers yeah. and see where you are before you have to go to a professional and they tell you, okay, well, you have a few options left, right? Yeah. And I also, I've always been pretty good at this stuff. And I remember, um, you know, using a rural financial counselor, like I said, they're here in Australia. We're pretty lucky to have them. When I was farming, I had all the figures done, but I just needed another head to bounce it off, like to get the perspective too. So even if you're really good at these skills, sometimes we, you know, we all need to have someone we can ask can you have a look at this? Have I missed something? Does it look like I'm on the right track? You know, just it really does help us to have sounding boards with financial information and that may be your accountant, it may be an advisor, it may be a consultant or a business coach, but 
finding somebody that you can use to um, just to bounce it off because sometimes we're so in, in the thick of it, we need that perspective <laughs> from someone outside of it. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. And I think it's also worth a lot of people hearing this who aren't managing farms, like so many yeah. points of advice that you've been giving here are very universally applied. And I've been making a lot of strides in getting my own finances uh, more under control, especially as my partner and I are going into some of the biggest investments of our life. We're getting a property, we're starting to build new businesses. And fortunately, she is very, very detail oriented. And she focuses on so many of the small calculations that I'm not used to looking after myself. But I have been, you know, I've, I've helped to manage farms in the past, I've helped to consult people through the design of their farms. But this has been a piece that has been weak in my experience in the past and seeing just how much you can analyze and start to monitor when these calculations and uh, yeah, these numbers are in place has been really empowering for me. And I've been helping to translate that into the other work that I do. And so, I mean, I would really hope that a, a broad range of people listen to this beyond farmers, because whether yeah. you're starting a small business or you're just getting your personal finances under control in order to try and make some projections of where you want to go in your life, all of this applies. Yeah. And it's the secret to us doing what we're here to do successfully. Like, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing someone who's got these amazing skills to give the world and who's not managing their money becoming pulled undone because of that. Like, um, you know, like it's the skill that sits underneath in the foundation of business. You know, if we want to be in business, whatever our business, we have to be able to manage our finances. Um, and that's every business, isn't it? You know, it's the foundation of all of our success. And I guess, you know, I guess, you know, exploring our own mindset around money and always questioning into that money mindset works probably something that fascinates me because I've had the privilege of working with a range of people on that level and watching how that manifests in their world like it fascinates me no end and it's it's encouraged me to work on my own mindset around money and you know just keep questioning into it and keep expanding that because you never arrive where you've got it all sorted but you, if you keep growing and expanding and learning and removing those inner barriers that you know we set up by not managing these things sometimes we hit an upper limit and you know we start to not manage things so well because we but how can it be better than that you know allowing ourselves to actually receive money for what we do <laughs> whether we're farmers or any in any business that's a huge um huge issue for everybody I think is yeah the receiving of not just giving <laughs> yeah for sure I know that's something that yeah. I still struggle with when it comes to yeah. actually valuing things in terms of money yeah. your own skill set yeah. your time it's you know yeah. people are notoriously bad at that and yeah. there are so many mindset hang-ups beyond just where you see the projections going, but also how you value things that you have to mm. offer. Uh, yes. There's so many places we yes. could go even deeper into this. And being really mindful of our wording around things. Like, you know, if we're coming from a scarcity mindset, we'll see costs, 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 costs. But when we're in an abundance mindset, which is the opposite of scarcity, it's an investment. So is this an investment in my business? You know, we see the value we provide as a farmer. There's value in providing healthy food for people grown in, in systems that are regenerating natural resources. There's a huge value in that that goes way beyond money. But, you know, starting to value what we do rather than seeing it as just an exchange of time, <laughs> there's this immense value. So all of those things flow through this whole whole discussion, don't they? Yeah. Um. Well, so in thinking of next steps, how can people reach out to you, Kim, and learn more about the services that you offer, if there are any educational offerings as well? Yeah. Um, our website is www.reinventingagriculture.com.au on the end of it. Um and yeah, people can jump on there. I've got lots of blogs actually around money, financial transitions to regenerative ag. Um, the latest one I wrote was actually on scarcity, <laughs> but it was almost like, you know, talking about enough is a decision, not an amount and how that relates in our farming systems. Like where is enough? Where is enough land? Where is enough 
you know, production and where we come back to that, it's often a decision. Um, but exploring scarcity in terms of regeneration and how we can flip our thinking. So there's some really good mindset hacks in a few of my blogs. So jump on the website and explore. You can follow me also on social media if you just look up reinventing agriculture you'll find us but um yeah business coaching is one of the offerings that I do offer I've also got some you know we work with soils and we work in a really holistic space with the strategy that underpins regenerative agriculture so we bring skills in the human aspect and the financial and the natural capital and try and bring them as a whole so um even just jumping on and jumping on our newsletter and following along you'll learn heaps anyway but yeah I'd love people to and if you've listened to the podcast and something's resonated I'd love people to just let me know because it's always nice to hear that that's impacted you so welcome to drop me a line (laughs) I have no doubt that this interview is going to be impactful for others it already has been for me Kim thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today I've learned so much Ah, it's a pleasure thanks for the opportunity Thanks once again to Kim Deans. I'll be posting all the links that she mentioned on the show notes for this episode on the website, where you can also find all of the previous episodes from the last five seasons for free. Now, before we wrap this up, remember that you can now contract us at Climate Farmers directly to be matched with an expert in regenerative agriculture in order to assist you in your journey towards regenerative management of your land and farm business. Just click the link on the top of the show notes for this episode on the website and you'll be connected with one of our representatives who will help you to evaluate your unique needs and your context in order to match you with a professional who will help you break through to the next level. Don't just admire the legends of regenerative agriculture from a distance. We can help to connect you or someone you know with legends like Harriet Mella, Mark Shepard, Ray Archuleta, Adamir Caligari, and of course, Kim Deans directly. You can also learn more about our work and growing list of services for farmers in Europe at climatefarmers.org. And if you like this new thread focused on regenerative farming and the consultants who assist in the transition process, you can drop me a line at oliver at climatefarmers.org to send your feedback and make recommendations of people and topics that you'd like to hear more about. Well, so that's our show for this week. As always, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future. And Climate Farmers and I will be right by your side along the way.